Hello, welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. I'm Mary Jo Parrish, and this episode comes from our conference speaker, Father Jason Smith, who is discussing the power of Our Lady and the Holy Rosary. Good morning, everyone. It is such a joy and a pleasure. This is my first time to Indiana. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to get to know all of you. I visited your beautiful basilica. It was wonderful. They have a wonderful image of our Blessed Mother there. I was there last night, and I said a Hail Mary for all of you. So before we start, let us begin with a prayer to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. Father, you taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit help us to relish what is right and always rejoice in his consolation. We ask you this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. May the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when I received a wonderful invitation to give this conference... I went to our chapel, and I knelt down there, and I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And it just came to me, these words, talk about your mother. Both mothers, my earthly mother, my wonderful mom, Elaine, and my heavenly mother, the Blessed Virgin. I figured this is the perfect audience to do that with as I look out at so many wonderful, wonderful mothers out there. So I was blessed to grow up in a great Catholic family, a great Catholic family, except for one thing. My mom was not Catholic. In fact, through all of the formative years of my life, until I turned 20, about a few months before I joined the seminary, My mom did not go to church. She said that all of hell would freeze over before she ever crossed the doors of a church. I learned my faith from my dad. My dad is the one who taught me the Catholic faith. And I was, as I was listening to the previous talk, I started kind of tearing up as you were talking about fatherhood, right? Tearing up like I was cutting onions. And I was like, oh man, I don't want to go up there crying. But my dad, really, my dad is the one that passed on the faith to us. We had one rule in the family, one rule, which was you always go to mass on Sundays, My dad would get my younger brother and I, we're two brothers, myself and my younger brother, he would put us in the car and we would go. We would go to mass. No matter what, you had to be so sick, my dad said, that an ambulance had to come pick you up. That's the only reason why you don't go to mass. I remember once we went on this camping trip out in the, I grew up in Minnesota. We went way up in the north of Minnesota. We went fishing with my dad and my brother. And by God's grace, we caught a ton of fish. We filled up two coolers of walleye. And it was, it was like a miraculous catch. We rarely caught fish, actually, with my dad. He's not a good fisherman. But uh, nonetheless, he liked to go out there and take us out there. And we brought these two coolers into our tent. I remember this with my younger brother and my dad. We're out there camping. And during the night, 
this thunderstorm comes just crashing all around us. And I remember I could see the lightning through, flickering through the tents and the wind was blowing. You could see the, the trees swaying. And my younger brother got really scared and he goes running over to my dad. And as he's running over, he knocks over the two cooler of walleye and he gets all over the sleeping bags and our clothing. And we reeked of walleye, reeked. And I remember thinking, because the next day was Sunday, this will be the first Sunday I don't go to church. I was so looking forward to it as a little kid. And I remember my dad is like, the next morning, we're all there soaking wet, smelling a fish. And my dad's like, all right, getting in the station wagon. We're going. I'm like, no way. I remember <laughs> we go to this country parish and we're going and everybody like moved 10 pews away from us <laughs> and I still have the most vivid memory I saw some sisters here the only person who came to shake our hands during the exchange of peace was a nun <laughs> <laughs> I remember going back and in the car ride on the way home I was like dad why like, why do you always have to go? Why do we always have to go? And I'll never forget, my dad looks at me, he goes, Jason, if I'm going to love your mom with the dignity that she deserves, and if I'm going to be the father for the two of you, like you deserve, I need God. My dad always has a rosary in his hand. He always prays the rosary. That's my earliest memory of my dad praying the rosary. In the early 80s, he went to Medjugorje. This is like when everything was just fresh. It was all happening. So my dad went and he came back and he was, all of a sudden he's fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. I remember when he announced to the family, he's like, do you want to join me in a fast on Wednesdays and Fridays? And my brother and I are like, no. <laughs> he goes, well, it's just going to be bread. And it was awesome because as, as the fast went along, the definition of what bread and water is sort of expanded. And, and as I started looking forward to Fridays because my dad would be home bringing home donuts and, and stuff like that. I was like, dad, I kind of like this new style of life, you know? But anyway, when my dad was there, his rosary, his rosary turned to gold. And this was a big deal. Like this, you know, we were looking at that rosary and, and this is where I started to get this kindling of, of wow, like maybe miracles do happen. And I remember my dad, we go to this baseball game with my younger brother and my dad, of course, he always has his rosary in hand, but he lost it in that ball field. So we went back the next day and we're combing the baseball diamond for this rosary. We're looking everywhere. And my dad's miraculous golden rosary was missing. So he buys this other rosary, never to lose again, with beads the size of golf balls. <laughs> and like the chain is like this, you know, it's like a chain, it's like a bike chain, you know? And uh, my mom is like, now, Doug, 
could you go back to Medjugorje and turn that one to gold? Because then all of our economic problems will be over. <laughs> so I remember my dad would be praying this rosary, and we would be at church. This is during my teenage years. And he would be pulling this rosary out of his pocket. And it'd be like the eternal rosary coming out. And it would be banging on the pews. And my brother and I would be acutely aware of all the other girls from the high school who were watching us. I'd be have my head down. I was like, no. And my dad would be Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He'd be praying the rosary, praying the rosary. So that's my father, my father. Wonderful, wonderful man, wonderful man. Time goes by, and I'm in my first year of college. I hear the call to the priesthood. It came into my life with the clarity of a church bell. It was just deep, profound resonance. I had never thought about the priesthood before. I did very poorly in school. I didn't think that the priesthood could ever even be for me, but yet... I heard the call clearly, and as I started to tell everybody, everybody was surprised. My dad was surprised, my friends were surprised, my brother was surprised, everyone but my mom. I said, Mom, I'm going to join the seminary to become a priest. And she looked at me and she said, I'm not surprised. A few weeks later, she announced to the family, this is getting close to Easter, she announced to the family that she was going to become Catholic. She had been doing RCIA clandestinely. Not even my dad knew. Yes, she was like an early Christian, <laughs> hiding from everyone in the catacombs. She, uh, yes, and so even my dad was like, oh my gosh, my son's going to become a priest, and now my, wife, my wonderful wife is going to become Catholic. So I'm in the airport. I knew if I was ever going to persevere as a Catholic priest, I needed to be a missionary, not so much to evangelize the world, but as to get away from all of my college friends <laughs> in another part of the world. So that was one of the reasons why I decided to join the Legionaries of Christ. So I'm there in the airport, and my dad pulls me aside, and he says, Jason, when you get to, uh, when you get to the seminary, I want you, if you could, to go and thank the Blessed Mother. Because I prayed for your mom's conversion. I prayed the rosary every day for your mom's conversion for over 25 years. 25 years. 25 years. That's my mom. She really, she's got a strong will. <laughs> Real strong will. Trust me, I never, I was never able to break that will ever as a high schooler. And the Blessed Mother, it took her 25 years. <laughs> so anyway, the years go by. The years go by. I become ordained a priest in 2006. My younger brother is ordained a priest in 2010. Both of the children and the family become Catholic priests. And 
I'm having this conversation with my mom and dad. This is after we both have been ordained for a while. And I look at my mom and I said, Mom, you know, everybody when I left to become a priest was super surprised, but you weren't. Why is that? And she looks at my dad and she said, well, should we tell them? And dad said, yeah. So my mom says, well, we never told you this story because we didn't want it to influence your discernment. We wanted it to come fully and 100% for the two of you. But you've both been priests for a while now, so I'll be free. I'll be happy to tell you. I was doing laundry in the laundry room. And I, when, I, when she said that, I remembered before my mom became Catholic and announced that she was going to, you know, join the church, she had put over the washer and the dryer a painting of Fra Angelico's Annunciation. Ever seen that painting? Beautiful painting with the angel on one knee extending, extending the flower to Mary. And the way she's embracing this beautiful moment with so much serenity and peace is just one of the most striking, striking moments. Fra Angelico, the way his art is, is just the man painted on his knees. And it comes through every brushstroke. So I remember my mom had put this Annunciation painting above the washer and the dryer. So mom says, I'm doing the wash. And I'm taking it out of the washing machine and I'm putting it in the dryer. And I hear this sweet motherly voice. It was serene. It was kind. It was humble. And the voice asked me, it was a legitimate ask. And I knew I had total free will to say yes or no. Can I have your two children? And I said, yes. And then that's when my mom became Catholic. Now, I've been a priest for a long time. I can tell you that's a rare experience. Knowing my mom, I 110% believe it because she's not like a mystic. But I'll tell you, that was something that was really, really powerful. Really powerful. And it taught me an incredible lesson. Prayer works. Our Blessed Mother... Man, she is such a wonderful mother, wonderful mother. When you look at the gospel, it's Mary's character to go visit the first annunciate, the first moment of Mary's, uh, after she knows she's going to conceive the Son of God, the first thing she does is to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth. Mary has been visiting and interceding for others since the first moment. She's the first Christian, the first Christian, the first one to know the Son of God. So that's the testimony. Three takeaways. Three takeaways from this great, this great 
story, if I can get my iPad to open. There we go. Number one, what are the three lessons? The three lessons we can learn from this experience. Number one, hope. Hope. St. Thomas defines hope as being before something that is in the future, something that is good, yet something that is challenging to obtain. So we have hope when there is some good in the future that we know is challenging to obtain. Despair, actually, is when we have desire a good that's in the future, that's challenging to obtain, but we think is impossible. Hope says it is possible. It is by God's grace. By God's grace, it is possible. Hope keeps our inner fire burning over years of expectation. Over years of expectation. One of the joys of my priesthood is to meet so many wonderful mothers. When I was working in Manhattan, I would get so many phone calls from moms across the country. Father, Pray for my son or my daughter at Columbia or NYU. I just know if they would go to mass at the old cathedral, their hearts would be moved like Augustine's was before the great St. Ambrose or something. I'm like, uh, I don't know, right? These mothers who are praying and praying and praying and praying, right? We know hope keeps that inner fire burning over years of expectation because we know that the difficult is always possible. The difficult is always possible. Jesus' resurrection has transformed the word impossible. Transforms everything. It shines a ray of hope on all circumstances, on all relationships, and all places that we need hope. It's a great joy, a great blessing. One of the culminations of hope, I used the example of St. Augustine. If you ever have a chance to read chapter 12 of the Confessions, there's this beautiful account of St. Augustine with his mother. It's called the Window of Ostia. It's where St. Augustine is with his mom, and the two of them, in a conversation, reach the heights of contemplation and are filled with deep, profound consolation. It's a beautiful account. But I was just thinking of it from the perspective of St. Monica, who years and years and years was praying for the conversion of her son as he went further and further away, that God in his providence and his goodness would give her 
through all of her tears, that beautiful moment, that beautiful moment where her hope was fulfilled. It's God's grace. Second faith, the second takeaway faith. We can't give someone our faith. It's a gift. We can't give someone our prayer life. It's a gift. My dad would try to get us all to pray the rosary. My brother would do it. He reminded me, like a good younger brother, that whenever my dad would say, all right, time for the family rosary, I would always rebel. (laughs) I don't want to pray. I don't want to do that. It's a gift. It's a gift. But we know that faith can move mountains. It can move mountains. And that in faith, people can walk on the waters of the circumstances of life. Faith knows that there is someone greater here. Someone greater here. I see the mountain. I see the storm. But as I lift my gaze in faith, I know that it shall be moved in the fullness of time when providence and grace are ready. How? I don't know. When? I don't know. But in the wonderful words of St. Thomas, what the Son of God has said, I believe and know to be true. Christ has promised what I ask in his name will be done. And expectant faith. I noticed at your cathedral here a wonderful statue of Solanus Casey. What a great saint. And he had that wonderful phrase, thank God ahead of time. Thank God ahead of time. It's a really powerful way to pray. It changes everything. Lord God, I thank you for the conversion of this person, even though it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) I thank you for this or that. To thank God ahead of time. What the Son of God has said, I believe and know to be true. It shall pass in the fullness of time. Number three, love. As we live the virtue of faith and hope, we grow in love. Sometimes I wonder if I could look past at the, my life growing up, why, why didn't mom become Catholic right away? Why? Well, in a mysterious way, my dad's love and my dad's faith grew tremendously over that period. This process of expectation, the process of waiting and waiting for what I desire for God's grace to act 
builds a love within me. Love grows through that time. We learn to trust. My patron saint, my patron saint, the great St. Patrick. I realized St. Patrick is my patron saint when all of the first churches I started working at were all St. Patrick's. Of course, <laughs> in New York, like every other church is called St. Patrick, right? But I was at the old cathedral, which is the first church, the first church dedicated to the great St. Patrick in the United States of America, built in 1809. So the great St. Patrick. Think of this. Patrick, as a young boy, was caught in human trafficking. He was abducted, brought to Ireland, and lived in slavery. And every night, the legends say, every night he would say a thousand prayers to God in the cold Irish rain as he would be minding and tending the sheep. And those prayers over that time of captivity and slavery increased the love within his heart. So much so that when he finally did escape, he went back. He went back. I always think of that. As we live hope, as we live faith, love increases. Love increases. Love, first of all, before it moves the mountains outside of us that we keep praying to change, moves the mountain in here. First, changes us moves the mountain of our own heart so that we can love others as Christ has loved us. Let us conclude then with a wonderful little quote from St. Therese, St. Therese of Lisieux. How sweet is the way of love. True, one may fall and not always be faithful, but love knowing how to draw profit from all, very quickly consumes whatever may displace Jesus, leaving naught but humble and profound peace in the innermost soul. Amen. God bless you all. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.